are alive. alive. Living life. <laughs> Welcome, Hello. guys. Uh, I'm not. I'm not sure who all we. If we have anybody in the chat quite yet, but um, I, I do want to say, kind of up front, we didn't have like a lot of viewership for our last episode when we sort of pitched our our new direction. That's what we were doing. So I, I want to just sort of say that again. I want to say like we are we're working towards something new and kind of interesting uh, in the sense that we're changing the direction of this podcast from being something that's just three buds hang out and talk about whatever movie they happen to be thinking about uh, that week uh, to something a little bit more guided, something a little bit more specific. And the the format of the podcast is not going to change much, but just sort of the selection of movies that we cover are going to be a little bit more curated uh, in the sense that we want to have as many guests. I gesture towards our guests who we will introduce well. momentarily. Uh, uh, come on and sort of defend unpopular or unliked or bad quote unquote movies. Uh, it, like the idea here is it's kind of like a, like a new twist on an old classic. It's a, it's a bad movie podcast where we like the bad movies actually. Yeah. And we try to convince you Genuine. that they're actually good. Uh, that's the idea here. Um, and for anybody tuning in right here at the beginning, we've got uh, Jackson McHenry here on the podcast. Do you want to introduce yourself, Jackson? Hello. Uh, yeah, I am uh, Jackson McHenry. Um, I bet you already said that. I'm a, a writer for uh, Vulture, um, covering movies and television shows and theater. Uh, I live in New York. Um, I'm excited to talk about... Do I say the movie that we're talking about? Yeah. Or, um, Go yeah. for it. <laughs> Well, I'm excited to talk about. I don't know how thoroughly maligned it is, but I did like check to make sure that it doesn't has like a 63% Rotten Tomato score <laughs> right, and like a 50% yeah. audience score. So like, pretty pretty not not the most popular movie around. Um, but I really enjoy it. Um, the 2012 Anna Karenina, uh, directed by Joe Wright, starring Keira Knightley, um, that I think does a lot of interesting things with like what it is as a period drama but i think managed to alienate both people who like period dramas because it does a lot of like stage like very showy director stuff mm. um and also people who don't like period dramas who are just like why do i want to watch another adaptation of a long russian novel um but uh so it's it's tough to read the thing but hopefully you guys enjoyed watching it or uh, at least a little bit. So, um, yeah, excited to talk about it. We were we were laughing. Adeline and I. Our mom loves like period drama this movies. This kind of thing. Yeah, she's always like reading. <laughs> like her Jane Eyre is her favorite novel, uh, and her she always tells us her favorite movie is the the Carrie Fukunaga Jane Eyre adaptation, uh, mm. which we've also never seen. But like this was one of the movies. <laughs> I must have been confusing it with something else because I thought that our mom really loved this movie, but I texted her about it once we decided we were gonna do it. And she was like, "No, I thought it was weird, and I didn't get it." <laughs> so, so I think I think that was the consensus. Yeah. consensus so this one's for moms in general, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. I think that was part of its problem. It like lost its core constituency of like people who are just mm. like moms who just want to see like a standard period right. drama by doing all. Well, I mean, I guess the the thing we should say is the main thing that apparently Joe Wright did. I was trying to read about this, um, but like before, what like after they had a script. But before filming, they were like location scouting in Russia to film a lot of the movie in Russia. Mm. Um, and they realized most of the available places people had already filmed. Um, and also in like the big like British country manners that they would typically use to like sub for estates. And so he was like, what if we just set it all inside of a theater? 
um, like a building. And then they just did that. <laughs> yeah, it's so wild because like that—that's like the the entire like sort of like visual construct of this movie is that like it doesn't like take place in one room, but it is filmed. It exists entirely in this like theater, and like, but it's not even just like the main hall of the theater. It's also like the hallways around the main area. It's just like this building. And it, you know, the the narrative, like, takes place in all these different places, but it's being, like, presented within this same space the whole time in a way that's super weird and, like, formalist and fascinating. And it's weird. The thing that really struck me about it was because, like, at first, it's, like, all you can think about. You're, mm-hmm. like, watching it, and you're, like learning sort of the geography of this space and you're like always trying to pick out like oh that's where the stage is like oh they're in this hallway like learning the space Mm -hmm. but then by the time you get like 90 minutes into it you like are not even thinking about it anymore like it just totally becomes like a like just a part of your viewing experience like it just feels natural and you it just like falls into the background of your perception perception because it just like works (laughs) you know like it (laughs) Mm -hmm. just sort of once it stops being, like, a novelty, it just sort of becomes your new normal as you're watching it in a way that I thought was super fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, I think it, like, it also it works thematically in an interesting way because this sort of novel and um, is about, like, the artificiality of, like, the super, super upper crust of Russian society in the 19th right. century um, and all these people stuck in, like, being constantly watched in what they're right. doing in, like, high mm-hmm. society and so you're like, oh, they're in a theater. They're being watched. Being just observed, but I yeah. think they're being observed. And then when it goes to the countryside, it like somehow leaves the theater in these like gestures. Um, and so like that's on one level, like very obvious symbolism. But I think it's just <laughs> interesting to see all of the ways he comes up with being like, OK, we can have like a dinner party between the screens uh, right. of the curtains or we can have the whole ballroom in the audience and we can, you know, have them in the rafters when they're getting off of the train and stuff that just becomes kind of like its own little game that right. isn't necessarily supposed to mean anything, but to be fun. Yeah. I mean, that was one of the I things think, like, that, it... go ahead, Keisha. I was just going to say, it gives the film so much more movement and so much more direction than what a traditional period piece would have, because it, you can get really like bogged down in, uh, they're having a conversation in a room and over here they're having another conversation they're having a conversation over dinner <laughs> whatever 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 but this like watching Donald Gleason like walk up into the catwalks to like see his brothers on the outskirts and like it's that it, there's just so much more tension and it, it, interesting set design that comes from it that like keeps me more captivated because I'm on the opposite end of the uh, the period piece <laughs> spectrum in that I don't really care usually I say why would I care and then I don't care uh but this made me care right (laughs) like this is interesting I'm captivated Mm -hmm. visually but yeah like I think like the weirdest most interesting like little moment when it comes to just like the way they use this space is that moment right at the beginning where Domhnall Gleeson like walks up into the rafters and the rafters become like the you know all the like ruddy-cheeked like common folk of of Russia <laughs> like it becomes like the the just like outskirts like the what's the word i'm looking for just like the regular heart of the city where like the people are but it's like up mm-hmm. in the rafters all around and we don't get to like revisit that very often but it's like such a cool yeah, interesting the proletariat pro- yeah the proletariat, proletariat yeah. is a great way to put it yeah <laughs> but like my one thing with it is that i do wish there was one like 
sort of like establishing shot at the beginning where it could like mm-hmm. do something. Maybe it would be like drawing attention to itself a little bit, but if we like, cause there's a lot of spaces that happen in sort of like not the main room, like sort of these like side rooms of like the building of the theater sort of. And you don't, you never really get a sense of like how those rooms are connected to the main theater in this like space that we're filming this entire story in. So it would be, if it were me, I feel like I would have wanted to have like a, like it's a big dramatic tracking shot where it's like we're going like through a door so you can like see the whole area first and like establish what it all looks like normally before we're like and now this is a train we built a train inside here <laughs> like and you know where that is um are you i feel like what you're asking for is the beginning of uh, the uh, cinematic version of the phantom of the opera i haven't seen it <laughs> It's Adeline's which, favorite Joel Schumacher. You know, you start yeah, black and white, black and white. Ooh, mm-hmm. oh no, everything. What happened? It was a mystery. We're at an auction, and then the the chandelier goes up, and whoosh, we're in color, and it goes through with the whole the whole opera, and uh, and that's exactly what you're asking for. So. Sounds good. Sounds yeah. good. Yeah. Joel Schumacher had his little his little fingernails on this mm-hmm. production. You'd like it yeah. more, right? So, so I yeah, found like every a, film if it was made by Joel Schumacher. I think that's like it's <laughs> There was like a Guardian interview I found from the time from like what is it like yeah just before the movie came out in 2012 where they like sent a reporter to the theater where Joe Wright was filming everything and he mm-hmm. talks about his influences at one point he's like I'm worried this will come off as a little too camp um, and describes <laughs> it as potentially no the such thing. campiest movie made by a, a straight man aside from Baz Luhrmann movies, um, which is just a great <laughs> right. quote. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think he was say. definitely like self-conscious of like Joel Schumacher window dressing his like directing style and Baz Luhrmann. And he talks about Powell and Pressburger. Um, and I think he was probably talking about Russian Ark. Have you guys heard of like the, the movie that's filmed all, it was like a Russian movie from like 20, 2002 or something. It, it's all one take inside the Hermitage Museum in St. Petersburg yeah. and like the history of Russia. But That's cool. I mean, I, I assume it's on the mind because it's also in Russia and also inside one building. Yeah, I mean, there's this weird, I mean, this was like a very particular moment when we were really interested in these like weird, flashy adaptations of like classic literature. And it's like, you know, it's Baz Luhrmann's like the, the biggest name in that, mm-hmm. but it's like, it's that weird moment, like, we went from, like, doing really straightforward adaptations of classics to all of a sudden, like, any adaptation of a classic had to be about teens in modern-day high school for a few years. And Which then just, it... Oh, thank <laughs> the Lord for that. And then eventually it started being, like, you have to have, like, a weird take. It has to be, like, Great Gatsby or, or Anna Karenina, where there's, like, some kind of Great bizarre Gatsby framing device. Great Gatsby was just device. on a train, and we're like, let's do it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, like... It's just, it's weird. I think really, because right now we're in this age where we're like doing just really straightforward, like unironic adaptations of classics again with like David Mm -hmm. Copperfield and Little Women and uh, what, what was the one? Emma. Emma, that was the one Mm -hmm. where Mm -hmm. we're just like, just like doing it, (laughs) you know, it's just like, yeah, I don't know. It's a good book. But where is, (laughs) where is Pictures of Dorian Gray? Mm. Still haven't. Where is it? Yeah, I would like to see a like maximalist version of that though. Like you're gonna do a picture of Dorian Gray. Like you gotta make it like big and horny. Like (laughs) Timothy Chalamet is Dorian Gray. Maybe. Hello. It's kind of the perfect time for him to be doing that. Actually, right. We're we're running out of time though. We are. But 
Time stands for no one. <laughs> like you're saying that the, the rose is going to come off Timothy Chalamet eventually. He's going to get too ugly. Yeah. Not yeah. Dorian Gray. Why not that? He's, he, he's just be too old, you know? <laughs> right. Well, Chalamet is going to be beautiful forever, but we've got this painting of Timothy Chalamet, and that's going south pretty fast. So. <laughs> we need I, the establishing shots of the painting. Right. Yeah. And, like, you know, we'll it's probably get into, like, boards. the plot of this movie eventually, but I am fascinated by... How long Aaron Taylor Johnson has been almost a movie star? I feel like he has been like 85% of the way there for like 10 years. And every time it seems like he's going to make it, he just like Mm -hmm. can't quite pull it off. Because like... We are on an ATJ streak right now. We are. Because we just did Age of... Two in a row. We just did Age of Ultron. And we talk about Tenet every week. (laughs) So... But yeah, like <laughs> I mean, like those are just the things. Like he gets the Marvel role, but it's the weird one where he dies immediately. People don't really the like one him character in that. dies. Yeah, mm-hmm. and like he, you know, he's in Godzilla, and like that's like a big yes. starring role. But then that movie kind of goes south, and he gets booted out of the franchise. And I mean, and this is sort of before both of those things, where it's just like him being like a lead role in like a sort of Oscar bait, quote unquote, like you know, historical yeah. epic, and like. Just all these weird things. It feels like like any one of those things is like, yeah, and Aaron Taylor Johnson's the next guy. He's the new, you know, I don't know. He would be what Timothy Chalamet is now, but he just hey, can't, Jay. can never quite get there. Mm-hmm. Well, he's, I also he's always feel like he's just going from like zero to like a hundred miles per hour in every acting choice he makes. Yeah. Which well, sometimes hampers yeah. him. <laughs> the line um, reading of temporal pincer movement is Oscar yeah. worthy. It's great. <laughs> well, I mean, great. And like, I mean, like, obviously, famously got a Golden Globe nomination for his like absolutely absurd performance in Nocturnal Animals, where he's oh, like right. naked and like torturing Jake mm-hmm. Hall. Yeah, I and, forgot like, about that. I think that's right. I can't remember like the timeline. Um, Somewhere. But like, I feel like he's kind he's of where good. he wants to be. Like, I don't think he wants to be that, the it guy. I think he's like, you know, I'm going to keep him guessing. I'm going to put every, one egg in every basket. Yeah. Does your movie need a kind of bulky weirdo, um, aggro? Really blue eyes. kind of good casting for Vronsky, where, like, he has the, like, aggressive mustache. He gets to be super intense and kind of disarming. And you're like, this is a weird guy why is she so into him <laughs> so that was what i wanted to ask you horny. <laughs> i wanted to ask you jackson like do you have a connection to to anna karenina as a as a novel like is that something you care about outside of this movie or did, did the um, movie just come along i i read it i was trying to remember the exact timeline i think i had read it before i saw the movie the first time which may have like helped my initial enjoyment of it um but, like, yeah, in college, I had, like, a Western Civ, like, survey course I had to take. So we read Anna Karenina as one of the things. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting. It's, like, very fun to read because, like, so much happens in it. And, like, once you, like, start getting camp? moments. <laughs> this is camp. This is camp. But what's interesting is the book isn't camp. Like, the book, like, the whole point of Tolstoy's oh. book is, like, he's very into, like, the Domino Gleason character. And he's, like, very into, like... Mm-hmm. It's sort of her, like, he's sympathetic to her, but it's, like, kind of her learning her lesson for being too obsessed with, like, worldly pleasure. Mm. Um, and um, it's sort of all about, like, oh, how do you do with the problem of romantic love when you're, like, trying to make a better society for Russia? And, like, what's the true Russia? Is it 
European or is it like its own thing? Um, and like mm. he cares a lot. Like when they're in St. Petersburg, it's more artificial, and when it's in Moscow, it's more real. Which like Joe Wright actually kind of sticks to a little bit with right. the directing. Yeah, you um, know, being in the real world, yeah. Yeah, um, but it's interesting because I think like, and I, I was reading like criticism of the movie where people were like, well, he's not doing what like Tolstoy wanted, where like a, like he did like Tolstoy would want something very realist and it would probably have to be like an eight episode miniseries. Um, <laughs> oh, oh, but like it's interesting oh, to like yeah. take it and be like, we're gonna make it really artificial and like see how the story works mm. in a entirely different approach. Um, mm -hmm. Do you think Tolstoy would have liked um, uh, Natasha Pierre in the com Great Comet? Do you think he would have <laughs> like that musical <laughs> like like I oh know. it's yeah. an adaptation like, it's an like, adaptation I like hated opera um or he like was oh. very suspicious of like because the whole thing that was happening in russia while he was writing was like the russian elites were like speaking french and like trying really hard to be european and like legitimize themselves as like a world power in in or at least european power um and he was like no no like you got to be Russian and you got to like embrace your like true heritage and stuff. So um, I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. But, but there are parts of that musical that are about that. So, yeah, yeah I was, I was but, thinking you know, to revive him and just be like, can... we have a lot of important questions about um, what you would have liked. Maybe he would have liked it. He'd never even seen a movie. So mm -hmm. be quiet. Naysayer. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> this criticism is not fair. Right. Well, I was thinking, I was thinking a lot about like, you know, and it's weird. It's it's a weird experience when you watch a movie like this with like little to no knowledge of like the source material, like knowing mm -hmm. it's based on a hundred and fifty year old book, but like experiencing the story the first time through like an adaptation, mm -hmm. where like you know, like obviously it's a little fuzzy, like what's a product of the adaptation and what's in the source material, but like thematically, it's it's hard to know. Like, should I be looking at this through the lens of like? 1860 whatever of like when this was being written or do i look at it through the lens of like 2012 when this guy was mm -hmm. making this movie and like adeline compared it to the the awakening uh when oh, we were yeah. talking about it because like because yeah like those because because there's a lot of similarities between those two stories but it's weird because i don't think that this movie or that anna karenina in general has like an especially feminist take on a lot of the things it's doing <laughs> Like, not that I think it's, like, I don't know. Not that I'm, like, it's problematic. But, like, yeah. it's just a weird, it's just, like, these horrific consequences for this woman having this mm -hmm. extramarital affair. But it's also, like, not really about not that about necessarily. So, like, it's a weird yeah. thing. But, like, comparing it to, like, The Awakening, where it's just, like, it's all about, like, this woman who's, like, very sympathetic, like, dealing with these consequences of, like, the way that she's expected to behave in like a very like more specific way. It sort of like ends up the mm -hmm. same way at the end. But like, this is more about just like this woman who's just like tremendously mentally ill, just like, it's like uncut gems, but in 1860s <laughs> Russia, just like making is a lot like uncut <laughs> awful gems. decisions over and over and over again. And you're like, some of these decisions, you know, it's societally, maybe she shouldn't have to be making, you know, maybe it's whack the way she's mm -hmm. being treated, mm -hmm. but she is still also making bad decisions, like, even yeah. in spite <laughs> of that, and it just over and over and over and over again, and just, like, the way that those two stories, like, look at their two lead characters is so, like, wildly different. I just think that's really interesting. Yeah, mm -hmm. well, and I do think it kind of does boil down to the kind of, I don't want to say feminist agenda, but you know what I mean? Like, trying to say something about that kind of stuff. Because mm -hmm. The Awakening is very much, like, 
the plot structure is like almost exactly the same like woman like realizes that she's unhappy she has an affair her lover leaves her she kills herself or mm -hmm. she kills herself the de <laughs> debate about that <laughs> but the the awakening is very much like she realizes that she's unhappy and she realizes it's because of society like she doesn't truly love her husband she doesn't truly love her children she wants independence and autonomy so that's what she's doing she's seeking sexual independence and like marital independence like she's trying to be her own person versus like anna totally wants to be a part of society like she goes to the theater after she's like been mm -hmm. a part of the affair versus in the awakening the whole thing is that uh ida or ada wants to like run away from society and her lover is like no be a rich hot dude and be a part of society still <laughs> But that's, like, not what's going on here at all. Like, Anna wants to be a part of society, and he also wants to be a part of society. And he's really trying to help her get the divorce <laughs> so they can be together. That's what infuriates me, is that they're, like, really trying to get her what she wants. And she's just so much getting in her own way. Like, it just feels like the two stories are not trying to say the same thing at all. Because Anna doesn't want independence. I'm not sure what she wants. And I don't think she knows what she right, wants. Right, yeah. <laughs> Because, yeah, it's just, like, it's weird to think about, like, stories that old that way. Mm -hmm. Like, it's it's not very often when you're reading a, like, you know, stodgy piece of literature. And it's just, like, this woman has, like, a lot of, like, mental problems. Like, she clearly, yeah. like, doesn't, doesn't have, like, have the capacity to, like, advocate for herself. And it's, like, very, like sort of explicit, I mean, at least in this adaptation, I haven't read the book, but, like, it feels very explicit in, like, this text of, like, this is not just, like, some, like, put-upon woman who's, like, downtrodden by society, like, she's her own worst enemy, and she's causing a lot of her own problems, which, it's just, it feels like something I'm not used to seeing in, like, this type of story from this time period. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think, like, the cut, the way that they, like, cut down, I guess Tom Stoppard wrote the script, and I remember because he, like, was giving a speech in my college, once what like after the movie came out and he was like yeah i don't know why they put it in the theater that wasn't my choice and I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> he just wrote the script and was like okay they're like he's just the writer they I look back know. through the stage directions they're like wait a second this isn't what happened what are you doing? it's too late we already booked half the stuff <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i mean he, i guess he was just like yeah i mean like it just went in a different direction, but um, yeah, but like the, the the way they cut it down, like, cause it's so much like the book has a lot more of like Domhnall Gleeson's character and like a lot more of like the thing Tolstoy does well is like just like little minor characters of like little incidents where you're just like oh like they go hunting and you learn about everything that happens in the hunting party for like twenty pages and you're like this is really detailed but also like what is happening. Um, <laughs> Uh, and, and so, like, I think they, like, narrowed it down and, like, yeah, turned it in kind of, like, an uncut gems for Anna Karenina, where it's, like, this woman who, like, both is, like, I need to be accepted into this society and, like, I need to be able to pursue the love I want and, um, I don't even know what kind of love I want, but, like, suddenly I have just gotten very hot for this guy, um, and I'm gonna go for it, um, does not pay off well. Um, <laughs> the, yeah, I, I mean, I like, think, um, like, yeah. we should... go ahead, Adeline. I feel like it's I'm Keisha. speaking, by oh. the way, um, <laughs> you couldn't tell the difference. Uh, but, like, my, I have a weakness when it comes to Russian literature. Like, it's just, I, I'm more of a Dostoevsky person myself, but uh, I feel like my understanding of the way that 
like Russian fiction usually happens is that there's the main protagonist and at, what I've perceived as the protagonist usually has quite a few uh, onset problems that are not necessarily other people's faults. It's, <laughs> it is very much their own that they are struggling with. And then there's a foil that you see that is more of a secondary character that is within like the books usually have a lot more to do but when we try and translate them into our western like understanding of main character side characters it's, it, <laughs> it gets a little like why is why is donald gleason in this movie like what's he doing he's <laughs> right. friends with his with her brother that is also a side character but but like there's more reasoning behind him being in the book than there is in the movie where you're just like eh, at least someone's happy at least someone's happy in the <laughs> right. yeah, at least somebody's yeah, at least having a good time just, just give found a candor and like happy for them <laughs> like, yeah they're throwing their beats and but sorry about your brother but you know at least you got a little wife out of it that's pretty good yeah i think and i think that like of all the like performances in this movie, I think Donald Gleason, Donald Gleason is great, but I also Gleason. think like Jude Law is like he has such an important needle to thread in this movie because <laughs> like he needs to be the guy who like does fucking divorce her cuz like that's important. <laughs> but like he does that while without ever feeling cruel or like unkind or he just he feels like a really sincere person who's like really just like looking out for himself in a very like baseline way and it you don't feel resentful of him like at no point as the audience are you like oh that asshole like how could he do that to her you're like no like he's got the beard and he's got the little glasses and you just he's got feel the for little him. glasses and like you know, like he's it, got his little sex box. He's <laughs> ready to go. Yeah, and it, like because it never feels like vindictive. Like you only ever mm. feel like compassion for this guy, and you're like, he's getting screwed over so bad, and like you want them to figure out. And then he like she just like totally screws him over in so many ways, and then he like forgives her, and he decides to come back, and he says like it's all right, I forgive you, and we can move on. And then she's like wait never mind i don't even care anymore and you're just like oh no like it's just the worst you just yeah. can't dude can't catch a break and it's just like so he he feels put upon and he feels like somebody who is in a horrible situation but he remains sympathetic and likable the entire time which i think is a super hard needle to thread mm-hmm well, I think it's also interesting that, like, cast someone who is, like, Jude Law, like, famously gorgeous, like, talented Mr. Ripley level, like, <laughs> right. as, like, someone whose fundamental problem is he's kind of a bore and not, like, supposed to be physically attractive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, not her, interesting like, enough. And you're like, I, yeah, I can see Jude Law, like, he looks good, but, like, he's, you know, they, you know he's embraced the thinning hair for this especially, and, yeah. like... Um, yeah, they left out, there's more in the book of him just being exhausting of a bore and, like, constantly talking about Russian politics. And at one point, like, a woman who, like, tries to get him into, like, fortune-telling, a very strange side plot. <laughs> but, but, yeah, but, like, yeah, it's interesting how, like, you have, I mean, because you recognize him, because of the casting, and also just, like, the good performance, you, like, you're, like, I understand why this guy is, like, I've gotta do what I've gotta do to, like, protect my social standing, and protect our family and like mm. not have us kicked out of you know moscow high society right um so mm. 
Yeah. We were talking in our in our group chat, we were talking about like our our little glasses Mount Rushmore. Uh <laughs> because we love Dave Bautista in Blade yeah. Runner twenty forty nine. Those are the, the best little glasses in the world. And Morpheus in the Matrix, classic little glasses. So we were just we were brainstorming, do you have any little glasses picks, Jackson? Oh, gosh. Well, I have to say, I do love that also Jude's little glasses and these have little, like, side guards, too. Like, a little <laughs> yeah. bit of, like, glare. Like, you're going to yeah. be working, you know, near the snow in Russia. Like, you've got to have the glare at the ready. Um, oh, God. I'm trying to think of, like, why am I blanking on little glasses? Like, Dumbledore glasses. Yeah, we should have prepped you on the little Dumbledore glasses. Oh, Dumbledore <laughs> does. He does. He's got little um, glasses. Yeah. <laughs> He's got little glasses. You Are there, like, little, little glasses, glasses in, like, Amadeus? I feel like someone must have, like, little glasses mm. in Amadeus. <laughs> the little <laughs> right. pole that they could hold up and... Mm-hmm. We can come back to it. But it's the, it's the little glasses beard combo where... Mm. And you're uh, like, wow, this guy... He's the one that we should be rooting for. The guy, for all the, time. the pickpocket from Tintin. That's oh. who it is. <laughs> did, did you He's watch got the Tintin beard recently? and the little glasses and the hat. No, I'm just yeah. always thinking about this. <laughs> yeah, I just wouldn't have remembered that. <laughs> and uh, that's, has, the next, and that's the next movie we'll do. We'll do the Tintin 3D animated yeah, movie. Yeah, maybe. I love that movie. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and Joe Wright just also gives Jude Law the great moment of like ripping up the letter and like throwing it, and it turns into the snow. Oh, yeah, uh, so it's just, like, a camp. Nice this is camp. <laughs> it's camp. People, it's like yeah. people need to respect camp. Like whenever you're like, mm-hmm. oh, that's so campy. That's not a bad thing. It's good. It's good mm-hmm. because you know what's not fun is boring. Boring things are boring. Yeah, you know what's you not fun? Not boring. having fun. Yeah. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you don't enjoy something like like a letter being turned into snow. Yeah. That's drama. <laughs> I'm and sorry drama. for you. You know what else is drama? Is throwing yourself in front of a train. So you have to, <laughs> you have to at least match that level of camp. That is that such a wild moment. She tried for drama. <laughs> yeah. Well, the that's first moment that like, gets hit by yeah. that train. That's nasty. They have a grand old time making that as gross and disturbing as possible and making sure you look at it yeah. and look him in the eyes. This man who's cut in half and whose entrails are on the train. Yeah. You're like, great, yeah. thank you. There's this like w- really sharp piece of like class commentary there though, where it's just that beat where Aaron Taylor Johnson is like, that guy died. Oh, maybe if I give his family 200 bucks, I could get laid. Like, yeah. <laughs> maybe I could turn this into my thing somehow. Like, yeah. just all of them making it about themselves. Yeah, yeah like all of them. Opportunity. Like sole provider. <laughs> anyway, it's yeah. like, Jesus. <laughs> Large family, I hear. Anyway. Yeah, the movie kind of skates over the, like, any any of the, like, lower classes. Like, there's a little mm. bit with Domhnall Gleeson's brother, who is, like, living with a, like, former sex worker, who's, mm-hmm. like, dying in his house. Like, but, yeah, I mean, the book kind of does, too, where it's, like, we should feel better for the serfs. And you're, like, yes, you probably should <laughs> treat them better. There's also poor people around. Have you noticed them? <laughs> Have you noticed? Like, like maybe, maybe there's yeah, some problems in Russia. Yeah, person today, I think you should. <laughs> Um, uh, meanwhile, yeah. But yeah, I was just thinking about yeah, Joe Wright. It's because... that you can't go to the ballet anymore, though, so yeah, it's hard. <laughs> Different, you know, we all have our own cross yeah, to bear. Yeah, all, all got our problems. <laughs> yeah, my whole family is starving to death, and you, uh, people talk about you behind your back sometimes, yeah. and that's hard. I hard. love... <laughs> but that's and one of the other things... you in high school. <laughs> that's one of the other things I love about G. Law's performance, though, is that moment right at the beginning where, like, 
everybody like keeps talking to him about this whole thing with his wife and he like knows what's going on for the most part and he's like I mean, just as a piece of writing, I like that he's, like, upfront with her about it. He's just like, mm-hmm. yo, please don't. <laughs> like, please it would not. be it would be such a pain in the ass if you cheated on me. I'm just asking you nicely to please not. And she just it totally <laughs> ignores him. And she just does it anyway. It's so wild. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, it is such... I, I love that scene in the in the dance, the, like, ballroom scene. Because, like... It feels like it would be so hard to, like, really, really show that, like, everybody is concentrating on them. Like, this is not something that has happened between the two of them explicitly yet. And at this point in the story, they don't really want to particularly badly. But, like, Mm -hmm. just the pressure of, like, everyone looking at them and thinking about it and talking about it just sort of, like, wills it into happening in its own weird way. And, like, the Mm. way that, like, the sound editing is done in that, where you can just hear everybody all the time as they're just sort of doing their dance. And then, like, the editing and the music and the way it, like, builds Mm. and builds and builds. It's, like, this weirdly, like, stressful sequence that's just, like, people dancing with each other and having a good time. But, like, there's just all these things that you hear. And, like, Mm. just the editing and the way it's cut together, it just, like, like, gets you all riled up for something that you're hoping doesn't really happen. But... It's mm-hmm. making it more and more clear it's probably gonna. It's, I just think it's super yeah. good. Well, and it's, like, the double thing, too, of, like, it's not only is she, like, screwing over, like, the culture rules of, like, dating, like being with somebody outside her marriage, but she's also, like, screwing over her dear friend who she loves, like, in the process. Like, it's, I mean, it just comes back to Anna not being a very particularly likable character. Like, we show, we show you how hurt Kitty is that, like, she did this to her <laughs> right. in front of everybody. Like, everybody knows she ruined this relationship for her because nobody is going to talk about anything else than them. They're not going to talk about them ever again. So it's like, I mean, it's just, yeah, that scene is just wonderful. and showing you, like, exactly what the court is thinking and exactly how it's affecting everybody directly. It's just so well done. Yeah. And it's just, like, also, like, all of these people who work with Joe Wright have, like, worked with Joe Wright before. Or, like, again, like, Dario Marinelli, who does the score, which is so good. And there's, like, mm-hmm. so many, like, waltz tracks. Mm-hmm. Um, like, Recorder Time and Seamus she- McGarvey, I think, is the cinematographer. Where he just loves, like, the long shots. Like, he's doing, like, the atonement, like, long tracking shot <laughs> again, except for inside a ballroom. Yeah. Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. And I think it's also, like, it works well, like, having Kira Knightley be Anna, I think, for, like, this. Because you're just, like, well, she's, like, protecting. It's, like, Anna's, like, no, I must still be the period, um, like, drama heroine. Like, mm-hmm. even though I'm married, <laughs> I deserve to still be the focus of attention. Like, mm-hmm. and, like, metatextually have her be, right. like, no, Alicia Vikander, it's not your time yet. <laughs> um, I, I get to still be the star of this movie is kind of interesting. I was thinking... Yeah, she... Go ahead, Keisha. She's so much, like both i need things in both hands she's like oh i remember when i was your age it was so fun being your age but i'm not anymore just kidding i'm gonna go and flirt with the guy that you want uh i don't understand why everyone's being so mean to me i did nothing wrong anyway i know that i did something wrong but i know that i'm terrible you should be nice to me anyway and i'm gonna be mean to you (laughs) it's just like that's a a really interesting dichotomy to have and it's it gives fun energy dynamic that uh i appreciate thank you kira and you wouldn't <laughs> well, have I love, that 
I love that this movie isn't fueled by miscommunication on literally mm. any level. Like that, like it goes to like to the husband literally being like, "Hey, please." I was don't gonna say that's what's so infuriating about it. Like she yeah, knows. Everybody knows. Everybody has all the information. Everybody is like trying their hardest to mm-hmm. communicate and be open. And Anna's just like, "No, I want both my things, and I'm not settling for anything." <laughs> I was literally just all in the room together watching each other, and they're like, "Okay, well, they're dancing now." So uh, yeah, <laughs> there goes There's Kitty's no... first big entrance into society. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about Joe Wright. At least Boris was there for her. Because yeah, right. <laughs> shout out to Boris. <laughs> and I was thinking about Joe Wright because, TV. like, I don't. I, I'm not super familiar with Joe Wright. Like, I know of his work. Like, I've like Atonement and Pride and Prejudice is supposed to be really good. And I like remember hearing a lot about Darkest Hour at the time because of Gary Oldman and his makeup. But I, I thought that this was the only Joe Wright movie I had seen until I remembered that I did watch Woman in the Window earlier this year also <laughs> which i thought was okay i thought that was all right i think that was fine but like it, it just goes good. to show that it just totally like vanished like it wasn't it didn't really happen <laughs> yeah for nobody anybody. knows just, yeah. Like yeah. <laughs> just like the woman in the window just like the woman in the window like also we don't know what like joe wright's full cut of the woman in the window is because like apparently they fought with netflix about trying to make it right. more comprehensible and like brought in like tony gilbert or something but like the woman in the window has like one shot where like Amy Adams is like imagining what's happened to her and like the car accident she was in and, like appears behind her in her house. And you're like, oh, oh Joe, right. You really like yeah. you really like putting everything in one place. Yeah. <laughs> um, like, but how yeah. Can we get a, a giant car crafty. crash inside this little apartment, this little New York. <laughs> like, let's make everything <laughs> a stage. Yeah. The world uh, is our I stage. Guess. Very Shakespeare. Yeah, well, I think what's interesting about him is he, like, loves to go, like, super big. Mm-hmm. And, like, I don't know. I, I Like, the Pride and Prejudice he directed is really interesting because, like, Pride and... He, like, directs it like it's, like, a romance, like, bodice, bodice ripper novel. And, like, she mm-hmm. gets caught in the rain. And, like, she goes up to, like, big vistas and, like, looks out over England at sunset. And, like, while well, it's happening and, like... I don't know. Like, I've read... Like, reading Pride and Prejudice, it's, like, really mostly, like, a really biting comedy of, like social manners mm. so it's like interesting he took it in that mm. direction and i don't know if i like that movie as much as like anna karenina which i think like somehow fits him just being like no no i'm going to be maximalist um <laughs> there's like enough there to propel it <laughs> mm-hmm. but it... he has a movie also i guess this is like a good news peg he has his like a uh, musical adaptation of cyrano de bergerac with um peter Dinklage oh that's right this yeah year. so we'll oh, see whether yeah. the maximalism there are a lot of musicals off. Yeah, yeah, we're, what we're is up with all the musicals? Big musical phase. Okay, maybe we should take a break here just real quick. Have you guys seen the Dear Evan Hansen news? <laughs> I need to I need to like double check and make sure this is actually true. Like not a joke, not yeah. a the Is it article? the news about the songs that they cut? Because I already know. No. Well, not only are they birth butchering the entire musical, but they're going to release two versions of the movie. One where the 40-year-old man playing the teen boy is 40, and one where they're going to CGI Princess Leia at the end of the at the end of Rogue what? One him into a young high schooler again. Wait, is You're that kidding. true? This I, is I a joke. can't believe that's true. I'm I'm just I double like checking. I saw somebody con. put it, and it was one of those weird things where I was not a hundred percent sure. It's not coming I, up. It must. I'm. We must have been. It must duped. not be true. Okay, good. I, I think it's God. like a fake news story. Yeah, I, like, I, I have seen but it, I believe, and I don't think they're going to recut it. <laughs> right. But. Yeah. But it was believable enough because I don't know. Not only is that just like more and more often now that 
studios are like trying to fix things at the last second that people complain yeah. about but like also, it just like, feels like this is where we're at you can't sonic the hedgehog everything <laughs> right <laughs> but um this old old man playing a high schooler yeah but it's so weird like i would not even because like there are movies with old teenagers all the time yeah. Like, and you don't care as long as they're all old, because then it's yeah, fine. Yeah, they have to all be like, 40. You can't just have one of them be 30, whatever this guy is. Because, like, I mean, I, like, a lot of people watched the he Sam Raimi like... Spider-Man a few days ago, and I was like, that has the <laughs> oldest teenagers in cinematic history. They are, like, thir- they're, like, 90 years old in that movie. Well, to be fair, Ben Platt is 27, so he's not even that old. He just reads yeah. really old on camera, which yeah, is, yeah. like, a sad 16-year-old? Yeah. But yeah, yeah, but then you get, like, Caitlin Deaver to, like, act alongside him. It's like, I don't buy it for a second. Like, I know they're not really that far apart in age, but, like, they just yeah. read so differently. Yeah. yeah. And he didn't read that old in, um, the the Candidate? What is it? What was the TV show that he did? Politician? That, like, yeah. Politician. Like, yeah. He, you're like, yeah, I could believe that you're in high school. Sure, sure, sure. But yeah. in this movie, I don't know what they did. I don't <laughs> know why. I can't yeah. pin, pin it. But it's there. Yeah. Well, apparently I was like reading and I think they were self-conscious of it. Like, and because I was reading an interview with him and he was like, apparently they shaved all of the hair on his arms, which like, <laughs> why, why would you, I don't know. Like, I guess you can like, some of boys it, but, like, don't have hair. Boys don't have hair. Like he has like a lot of makeup because you like you can still sort of see the five o'clock shadow in like the close-ups, but it's right. like makeup takes on and then you just take it into the matrix. And he also said he lost like a ton of weight. Oh, and I was really? Like, I don't, like, like teenagers like don't have to be thin. Like, I don't yeah, know. yeah, I'm just getting <laughs> sad younger, now. Like, makes you look more sallow. I don't know. And yeah. so, well, that whole situation is so weird because yeah. his dad is the producer, right? Yeah. Like, so he's literally like, it's weird that he's trying so hard, even though the role was kind of just handed to him. Like, it feels like a weird, like he's doing both. Like he. Like, he feels that he deserves this role, but also he understands that he's probably not the best for the role. Like, it's this weird double think that they're doing. I don't know. Well, he also, like, yeah. I mean, his dad is, is a producer. He also just, like, won the Tony Award for it on Broadway and, like, yeah. like was, like, the success of the musical initially, too. So I think, like, they were like, well, we can't not use him, mm-hmm. even though he's a decade older than when he first started performing this character. Right. Yeah. And I was going to say, you can I get away with a lot a more time. on stage. Yeah. It's like you're looking at somebody from like 40 yeah, feet he's away. He's so far away, he could be 12. I don't know. <laughs> right. A little head yeah. on him. It's like yeah. that, the, they filmed the Newsies, uh, the musical at, with Jeremy Jordan, and he started playing that role at like 26, which is like <laughs> not, not a big deal because you're on Broadway. And then like almost 10 years later, he's like 35 and singing about how he's too young for all of this pressure. I'm only 17 years old. And you can, like, see him just, like, crow's feet and just sweating. Like, I think... I don't think... I think you just need to get a real job, buddy. Like, you need to stop being a newsboy. Yeah. I think they should take Ben Platt. I think they should give him a propeller cap. I think that would really, like, <laughs> show, like, this is a child. That would have really helped. Uh, so like, the spider a t-shirt, yeah. <laughs> they brought Joe Wright in. It would all be performed, like, within, like, a drama club stage, and then it would there be fine. Right. Do it in the black box. It. Oh, my gosh. Those yeah. black, black squares. Or, or it would be, like, performed, and... like, within a Facebook status somehow. No. Like, Ooh. <laughs> It would all be a oh, Facebook like Live. Tick, yeah. TikToking. It's all yeah. TikTok these days. It's all found footage. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, what was that movie? Musical? Why haven't I 
Have we done that yet? It's, like... <laughs> it's all we're just on teams the, we're on in our one way. drama club. It's like all their Snapchat mm-hmm. stories of them before the performance. That's a weird. <laughs> that's a weird, complicated thing to say because I feel like the appeal of found footage is that really raw verisimilitude of it feeling really real, but then putting that format where people just start singing randomly. Yeah. There's like a weird crossing of wires that might be really interesting. That might be a good idea. Yeah. Um, But anyway, Anna Karenina. Haven't you seen those improv musicals? People improvise musicals. Right. It's so good. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. I was worried it would be bad, Speaking as, Speaking as... I think it's good, but I also mm. just right before we uh, hopped on finished uh, an episode of Glee. So mm-hmm. take that with a grain of salt, if you will. <laughs> but yeah, so I just mean, ignore her for the rest of the podcast, <laughs> basically. No, 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 no. I'm allowed to have my opinions. Right. It's, uh, it's, it's all camp. Yeah. Gosh, <laughs> if it's camp, that, then that we're good. Glee has prompted that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what can I say? Uh, I'm trying to, I'm looking back over my notes, uh, about Anna Karenina, the, the movie on the, mm. <laughs> the podcast today. <laughs> the thing that we're talking uh, about, yeah. It's just, because I want to dig in a little bit more on, like, what it is that alienated. I mean, I think you kind of hit it right on the head, Jackson, about just, like, it's not really appealing to, like, just the average mom who wants an adaptation of Anna Karenina. But it also, like, doesn't really, like... It's, like, weirdly high concept in a way that just, like, doesn't appeal enough to people who don't want to see a, 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 like, a historical adaptation. And, mm-hmm. like, I remember, because I remember when our mom went to see it, this movie also had, a like, a very limited release. Because I remember, we lived in Vancouver, Washington at the time, and I remember our mom driving to Portland to see it. She went, like, really mm-hmm. far out of her way to find a theater that was showing it. <laughs> She crossed the border. Uh, yeah, <laughs> to a new state to see Anna Karenina. I mean, the Oregon-Washington border, not the not the. Canadian. Yeah, uh, different Vancouver, different Vancouver. But okay. like, <laughs> y- and y- I don't, I don't know. You know, I I wasn't paying attention at the time. I don't know what the cause and effect was there. If it was like crippled by its release, or if it was already not really doing super well, so they sort of diminish the release but like Mm -hmm. and you know it's also it's the kind of thing that feels like it should be like a big oscar movie but i don't think it really got nominated for anything unless it got like costumes i think they were pushing it for their i think it did get a costume jacqueline duran who did the costumes who's always great who did did the because she's also worked with joe wright on like pride and prejudice she did the Mm -hmm. like famous green atonement dress right um Mm -hmm. And she's doing the costumes for the um, Kristen Stewart Spencer movie, Diana movie. So, um, yeah, but I think it like kind of like I was trying to look at the box. It, 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 I don't think it made um, did very well at the box office. And it kind of like didn't get good enough reviews to try to do a like Oscar campaign. I think probably right. early on they were like, now we can push for um, Kira Knightley's Oscar. She's playing Anna Karenina. <laughs> right. Um <laughs> Okay. Like, don't you know the name? But um, yeah, and I think it like it, it kind of was. I think also like the directing a little bit overwhelmed some of the performances. Um, and if you're coming yeah. into it being like, I want to be swept swept away by the love affair, hey, that's not really what the point of the Ganacrenna is in general. But like, <laughs> right. it's kind of hard to get caught up in the love affair because it's so mm-hmm. artificial. But I'm just looking. I'm on the Wikipedia. I mean, I think it is difficult. The, um, like, the Academy Awards it was nominated for. 
It did get a few. It got cinematography, uh, score, production design, and costume, which is honestly like more than I more than I thought. Like that's a pretty good lineup. Although but, seemed fair, yeah. Um, the next the next uh, category down on Wikipedia for the awards it won was the Alliance of Women Film Journalists, and it was nominated for Ooh. best depiction of nudity, sexuality, or seduction. Did not win. I need to check and see what did win. Um. And it, yeah, tell me. <laughs> it won the award for movie you wanted to love but just couldn't. So <laughs> there you go. So it was the perfect candidate for this podcast. Yeah. Uh, I want to see. I want to see who won best depiction of sexuality that year. Is it 2012? Um, Gotta be the Hunger Games, right? You know. Let's see. When you paint yourself like a rock. <laughs> uh, oh, it's not coming up. It's a weird Wikipedia page. Yeah. <laughs> I can't believe that. I can't believe this strange niche award. <laughs> I love more of a Wikipedia. Oh, here we go. Okay. Uh The Sessions? There's a sex scene oh. between Helen Hunt and John Hawks, apparently. I'm not familiar with that at all. Helen. That, that one? That was the winner? Yeah, that was yeah, that beat Anna Karenina. Like physical therapist in that like right? <laughs> oh really physical therapist oh, no. who's, like, that's helping, weird that doesn't feel right to me move again and then yeah i think <laughs> I like know. oh i'll help you move again i'll help you <laughs> i mean i did like for this one in enterprise defense i did like when the scene where you like where they're like wrapped in bed and you just see like aaron taylor johnson's gigantic thighs like right. on top of yeah her. he looks like, like a yeah. he looks like marble he looks like a sculpture yeah <laughs> Yeah, he does look like a sculpture, like a little Roman god. He's got, and he's mm-hmm. got, he's got those baby blues, you know? And he's that got the mustache, baby blues, like he's got the mustache. He looks good in a uniform. It is probably, like... it's probably the sexiest facial hair out of the, the facial hair gauntlet that we ran through in this movie. <laughs> in this film, like, yeah. I always say that Aaron like, Taylor Johnson is that looks you... like if Elijah Wood played football. That <laughs> That's always <laughs> what I imagined in my head. They have the same eye shape that's yeah. like mm-hmm. strangely wide. You're like, what's going on here? How can you open your eyes that big? Mm-hmm. Doesn't it hurt you? <laughs> so speaking of speaking of facial hair, we should also talk about Matthew McFadden, who mm. um, like I feel like this is a crucial yes. movie in understanding his pivot from like Pride and Prejudice, like Mr. Darcy hot to like Succession, <laughs> like yeah. character actor. Because this he's coming in going full character actor with his giant mustache. As Anna's mm, brother, got rid of the mutton chops. Oblonsky, like just loving to talk about how he loves to like eat and party. He's he's, <laughs> he's the first person you see. He's yeah. just like setting the stage, mm-hmm. and you're like, welcome to this sort of like slightly jolly kind of Russian guy who has had an affair. I mean, like, I the book is also starts in the same way, and he's supposed to be like symbolic counterpoint to Anna, where it's like, look what men can get away with and have mm-hmm. no right. repercussions. Mm-hmm. Um, Very but, Russian. Yeah. What a fun performance. <laughs> but well, yeah, it totally sets up the stage. Like, because he, I mean, if we're going for a very camp movie, we have a very camp performance. So you just go hand in hand of like setting it up so good. Like, they have all the choreographed bits with him, like, like putting on his jacket as everyone like stands up and then turning around and taking his jacket off. Like, it just like totally sets you up for the vibe that we're going for. And then as we kind of move away from that and start to like get a little bit more like serious and a little bit more into like the debauchery and all of that, like it's just such a good setup for the camp, you know? Yeah. And I really, one of the things I think about a lot when it comes to these like period pieces, especially when they're, I mean, like obviously this one isn't straightforward, but like 
sort of textually it is like there's not like a like a narrative gimmick as much as there is just like a directorial gimmick but like Mm -hmm. one of the key things that like makes or breaks these things is just like as you're like entering like how much can you just like feel for these characters even though they're takes place 150 years ago you know Mm -hmm. it's the kind of thing that i think like i mean just in my opinion like i think little women and i think david copperfield like really nails these things just as recent examples where they can be like funny like pretty quickly right off the bat and you're like oh (laughs) like you know it's we're we're not so different you and i oh people (laughs) yeah Yeah. um (laughs) and like and whereas i think like emma last year like totally fell flat there i thought like the 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 dialogue was like such a barrier between you and it in terms of just like the way they spoke it's like even when like they made a joke and you could tell they were like making a joke but it was like just like so dry and stodgy you're just like okay i suppose (laughs) you know but like i think that opening sequence with matthew mcfaden and and, uh domino gleason is really good because it like it lets you know matthew mcfaden be kind of funny and like have like this really like snappy sort of back and forth that still feels you know like appropriate at the time period like the moment where he's just like new boots (laughs) <laughs> like instantly he asks like any advice he's like yes first of all new boots it's really funny and it just like perfectly it's just like this perfect little in to be like there's like this artifice of like this period piece ness and it just mm-hmm. gives you that perfect little chink in the armor to like you know weasel your way in right off the bat yeah and I, I think like it's also like I think there's even like humor in the way like the directorial choices are happening where you're like oh there's humor in being like how are they going to do the scene transition how what are we going to use this part of the theater for and like I think a part part of it like the second half of the movie I think drags a little bit once they get stuck in being like well Anna has to be like in this claustrophobic room for a while and just kind of sad and mm-hmm. there's not as much inventiveness um, as like starting off where he has all these ideas for like oh the transitions of like Oblonsky walking in and getting dinner and like ranting at Domino Gleason, who does a good job just being this like nice seeming like adorable <laughs> guy where you're like why are you around all these people yeah <laughs> please escape you need to get away from this go back to your beet farm <laughs> Okay, I'm sorry. I have to go back to this because I've still got the Wikipedia page for the Alliance of Women Film Journalists (laughs) Awards because apparently they have like weird categories like the Teen Choice Awards or the Razzies. And so (laughs) here are some some awards that were given out, at least at the 2012 Alliance of Women Film Journalists Awards. Uh, A Hall of Shame Award. Uh, which this year was won by Sasha Baron Cohen for The Dictator, I guess. Uh, Actress most in need of a new agent. (laughs) Um, Movie you wanted to love but just couldn't. Uh, Unforgettable Moment Award. Uh, Best depiction of nudity, sexuality, or seduction. Most egregious age difference between the leading man and the love interest award. And why are we rewarding that? Yeah, and <laughs> sequel or remake that shouldn't have been made award, like the Razzies. What is that? Why, <laughs> why did somebody's dad sneak into the women? What is the what is the group called? <laughs> the Alliance of Women Film Journalists. It's just so yeah, funny. Yeah, whose dad wrote that last category? <laughs> uh, uh, this year it was tied for Red Dawn and Total Recall. So. In case you were wondering. <laughs> oh, that version of Red Dawn takes place in Spokane, Washington. Does it really? Because I remember seeing it and I was like, uh-oh, I'm in Spokane, Washington right now. I'm about, to get, good. I'm about to get Red Dawn. It's not very good, but I was also Actually, like, people Ooh. get Red Dawned every day. 
by North Korea. Wait, is that like the Chris Hemsworth Red Dawn too? Yes. Where like one of the few yes. movies Chris Hemsworth has made where it's not he's not Thor. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it was. I believe that it or hunting he filmed a whale. it before Thor. But then oh. there were weird production, like it got pushed back a bunch of times. And then it, when it came out, he had already been Thor, but it was filmed before. Yeah. And so they were like, that's my favorite. Why did he like, do that? What, mm-hmm. what happened? The like yeah. awkward, Why did you take such a step back? the like awkward micro budget movies that get made and then get shelved for two years. And then somebody in it happens to become a superstar and they're like, Oh, uh, mm-hmm. we've got one of his. We like, gotta get we this just out there. <laughs> haven't gotten around to it. Well, maybe we should put this <laughs> yeah. out. Yeah. <laughs> Always a funny. But it was not. It wasn't great. It was fine. <laughs> the only thing I remember was being like, "Are we gonna get it? To, if if North Korea does try to go to war, are we? Am I gonna die? Am I like on the front lines? <laughs> right. Like that's all I thought. Yeah. Spokane. <laughs> the Spokane. At least I could like maybe blend in. I'd be like, I'm one of you. Kind of. Uh, okay. I have to say one more thing and then I'm going to close this Wikipedia page because it's a detriment okay, to the good. podcast at this point. But like uh, later they add an actress or they add an award for actress defying age and ageism, which is cool. Like it's a good idea. If you're going to be quirky, like this is a fun one. But in yes. 2017, which is when they added it, I was like, oh, they probably added that in response to Wonder Woman because that movie has such a great, great eye for like, you know, the way it frames its older characters. Not even nominated. It's Annette Benning in Film Stars Don't Die in Liverpool, Francis McDormand in Three Billboards, and Agnes Varda for a movie called Faces Places I've never heard of. Weird. Weird that they added it that year and didn't nominate any of the Wonder Woman people. I'm closing the Wikipedia page now. I just I To be fair, Faces Places is great, I will say. Oh, okay. Varda, pioneering figure of the French New Wave. Um but But does it defy ageism? I don't really know. I feel like it's mostly just Agnes Varda, like, on a road trip with her friend, this artist, JR, just, like, have a nice time in France. Right. And, like, I I don't know if that defies ageism, but it is lovely to watch. Yeah, it is a grand old time. It does kind of feel like they just said movies that uh, center, like, middle-aged women, which is not defying ageism. Yeah, like, I don't think Frances McDormand is defying anything in Three Billboards. (laughs) Like, she's very much like a crotchety old lady in that. I mean, she's defying something. Yeah, she's trying to defy a lot of things for sure. Um, where are we at? Where are we at with Anna Karenina? Uh, what, what do you? I I guess my question because when I went in to this movie, I I my thought process was why why Anna Karenina? Like why do we need to remember it? Like why do you think this is a movie worth remembering or worth revisiting? Mm-hmm. Um, or visiting for the first time. Yeah. <laughs> oh gosh. I mean, like, I do think I think it's like a very it's an I like it because it proves there are like interesting there there's been many versions of like Anna Karenina movies and TV shows before. And it proves you can do something where you take a period, you know, a, a classic story and like come up with your own spin on it and like it can withstand going very sort of non traditionally um at it, which I think I wish sort of more period dramas Maybe we'll swing back to more of that, but I, I sort of wish that more period dramas would do that. There's a lot of concern of being like, how do we keep in all of the points from the book? And like, mm-hmm. you know, Russian mm-hmm. lit scholars will be mad at us if we don't include everything Tolstoy wants. And like, <laughs> that's not necessarily interesting. It's more being like, okay, you have this interesting story, like a very compelling story where like 
you know, you know Anna Karenina, you know she's going to throw herself in front of a train at the end of it, and like, how, how do you get there? her there? <laughs> um, and this is like, we get her there by like emphasizing like the performance of her whole life and the artifice and like where that ends up and how it can feel empty and whatever. Um, so I really just like that they that he did that that he was like, I will fully commit. And I also think like I don't know, like a lot of Joe Wright movies, like I don't really love Pride and Prejudice. I thought I liked Atonement a lot. Didn't like Darkest Hour. Woman in the Window, I don't know if you can count it as a Joe Wright movie because it feels like he didn't have full say. Right. And like, I don't want to be like Lisa the Snyder cut about it because I don't necessarily think it's great. It's... <laughs> like, like the, if that exists, it, it would I'm be good. I'm not going to die but... on this hill. Yeah. I'm not going <laughs> to die on this hill. Like, um, but I, I think like this is one where his like maximalism like finally collides with something that like fits it really well. Um mm-hmm. So I like that, and yeah, I, I like the score, and it has like it just like is sumptuous and like fun, compelling, and sort of escape into a maximalist world right. that I enjoy. Mm-hmm. That was because you know a lot of what we're trying to do with this new podcast. Would we, we, we imagine it like uh, one of our biggest things is like we? I mean, it started with I, I think, but I think I kind of like transferred it to you guys. Like I was really exhausted by people people having an attitude about movies they like being like. Oh, it's so bad. Like, oh, it's trash, but I love it. I think it's so great. And I and I always hate that. Like, I always want to be sort of like post-ironic when I'm talking about movies. I want to be like, well, clearly something is working for you. Like, what did you like about it? Like, express that to me. Like, it's it's good because something is working. So when I'm I'm trying to figure out a better way to like pitch that to people to like try to get movies mm-hmm. like that. And when you said Anna Karenina. I was like, yeah, I mean, it's not an especially liked or well-regarded movie, like, in culture. But I was like, I don't know if this is really going to be... But, like, I think a lot of this is just going to be about movies that are weird in a way that alienates people a lot mm-hmm. of the time. Because I was just thinking yeah. about um, my my partner Anna and I, we just watched Matrix Reloaded last night. And we both love Matrix Reloaded. <laughs> like, we think that movie, like, totally works in a way that, like, nobody else does. Because it's just, like, so bizarre and, like, esoteric. And, like, so much of that movie is just, like, oh, here's the Kevorkian. He represents the computer code for (laughs) vampires or whatever. You just, like, go through order over again. But, like, and that's a movie we'll do on this show beyond a shadow of a doubt. Uh, (laughs) But, like, I think this movie actually is, like, really well representative of, like, what we might want to do with this show as we move forward, as we sort of transition into this new premise, which is just, like sticking up for like big weird decisions that people didn't like but still just like acknowledging them and being like well i like it actually because it's just like a big weird stylistic decision yeah it paid off because i like it (laughs) right like people might not get it yeah and i feel like i also Mm -hmm. like my what my galaxy brain take about this movie not uh, fully galaxy brain but i think it's also like it's like self-consciously a movie about in the two or three range though in the two or three range, like not fully, yeah. like you know, small planetary system, not galaxy. <laughs> <laughs> but like it's it like I feel like the the setting it in a theater makes you like think self consciously about like all these actors. It's like a movie about actors making a period drama in a weird way. Mm-hmm. Like it's sort of like you 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 think about like oh these people are inhabiting these roles. They're like inhabiting these archetypes. They're inhabiting like these sort of stories that have been around for a while. And then, like, the movie keeps on pointing at, like, yes, like, Kira Knightley is playing Anna, not just, like, look at Anna Karenina, like, but, like, look at, like, her reenacting mm-hmm. Anna Karenina, mm-hmm. which kind of is interesting and makes you think about 
or at least me think about as you're watching it, like what is compelling about constantly returning to these kinds of stories and like, why is this happening? And the movie is sort of like probing those questions and bringing them up, which I enjoy rather than just being like, no, pretend, pretend this isn't, this is just like the first time you've seen a Russian novel being adapted as a movie. Like, (laughs) right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I feel like, I think they accomplish what they set out to do, which is not tell every single point of this novel which is impossible in a two-hour film and it's not a very Mm -hmm. it's not like extremely long it could have been way longer um (laughs) and it's not necessarily like oh this is the next big romantic movie that everyone's gonna love because that's not the point but i think that there is so much performance that happens especially when you have set amount of wealth or status and the only time that she stops and notices it is when she sees the people looking at her like they you see that in the film Mm -hmm. where all of the audience members are pointing towards her now and that is so interesting and would not have been possible without this stage like setup which is kind of funky kind of interesting (laughs) uh maybe off-putting for the the target audience but if you're interested in something that is like telling a, a a kooky version of an old story like this is an excellent one it's so <laughs> yeah it's very interesting i yeah. love that the i'm glad i wasn't just it. what if they were teens i like that <laughs> right yeah oh, what would you do anna karenina <laughs> yeah how would you oh how would you God. put a teen anna karenina it would be like a 90s. whole like a teen pregnancy thing like it would have a lot would have to go on oh, yeah i think that's just what riverdale is i was gonna say it would turn into heathers real quick i don't know i feel like you couldn't do it I don't. Yeah. I think that this one doesn't and translate the same Sabrina, way that the like much to do about nothing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like something about Anna Karenin is like it is like a very adult like yeah. You, like mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of the teen stories are applicable because like especially Jane Austen because there's like hardly any sex in Jane Austen because right. it's like everyone like watching each other and like that works well for high school <laughs> where like they can hook up and like high school movie at least like uh, right. But yeah, this like you have to kind of have like the like layers of like it would be hard to like translate like differences between russian like capitals into he's high the school. student body president <laughs> and he's on the basketball team yeah, yeah, but like yeah and i mean i don't know i guess it's runner <laughs> and he's got a mustache <laughs> and then he trips at the race or i don't know yeah he's a senior he can oh, grow a mustache would not work yeah <laughs> But yeah, and I mean, that's, I guess that is also part of the thing. Like, part of this movie is, like, just, like, this, like, insanely, like, steamy sequence of sex scenes that, like, just have to be really convincing. Like, mm-hmm. otherwise you don't buy the movie, you know? It's gotta be, like, as hot as possible, and I think it is. Like, it works really well, and you, like, buy this, like, whirlwind, like, lustful relationship in a way that, like if you were, for example, making it with teenagers, would be weird to pull off. Would be weird. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I was going to say, like, I, what I think, I, I tend to have the conversation about sex scenes. Like, when is a sex scene necessary and when is it just, like, we have a sex scene because we wanted to have a sex scene? I notice a lot in, like, streaming TV shows, like, because they have, like, different rating systems. They're like, first episode, we can have a sex scene? We're going to have a sex scene. And you're like, do we really need this? So I think this is a great example of, like, a perfect sex scene where it is vital to the story, it's done super well, and it's not 
gross. Like it just mm. like it just does exactly <laughs> what it's supposed to do. And I don't feel weird. It makes sense that it's here. It's like nice to watch. And I don't feel like I'm watching a porn and I have to like look at my mom every five seconds while we're watching the movie, <laughs> yeah. you know? Was mom watching it with you? No, she's at school. Oh, okay. <laughs> Because I was going to say, I kind of want to know what she has to say, like, now knowing that we're like, yeah, it's good, actually. Yeah. Well, mom's thesis, (laughs) she was talking to me about it, is that she was like, what she remembered and what she really liked was all the stuff with, like, the theater scenes and, like, changing out the props and, like, striking the set. Like, she loved all that stuff, but she literally can't remember anything else about the movie. (laughs) Right. So she said, Mm. all that stuff was really engaging, but that tells me that the rest of the movie probably wasn't engaging with me the same way that that stuff was, is what she said. I still think about, because I was super into The Favorite when it came out. Like, I still am super into The Favorite. I think that movie rules. (laughs) But, like, and at one point I, like, recommended it to my mom because I know she likes these, like, period things. Not necessarily realizing that it wasn't quite the same kind of thing. Keisha, I think you were there when this happened. I just remember, like... Yeah, we talked to... She, like, walked out of the room and was like, I hated it! Yeah, we, like, the <laughs> three of us like, were just hanging out. Happened? And my mom came out and was just like, what the hell was that, Jackson? <laughs> like, I don't know. Why did you make me watch that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, that was just a fun story. Uh, are, are we... Playing, like, Mario Party. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are we wrapped up? Do we have any final Anna Karenina thoughts? why it's good, why we like it. I mean, I always say that, like, I want people to make big decisions and stick to them because <laughs> right. that's always 10 billion times more fun than not doing anything. Like, I always say, like, if just go ape shit. If you want to do something, just do it. And I think right. this is the perfect example of that. They're like, we're just going to go for it, and it's awesome. Like, <laughs> e- like, even if it alienates some people, it's always worth it to do that rather than to not do it. Mm-hmm. yeah and i think also I, I agree and i think maybe some of the movie does suffer i think especially in the like sub the side plot or not side plot it's supposed to be the tangent the equal sort of deuteragonous plot or whatever but with mm-hmm. alicia vikander and donald leeson where you're like these kids are cute but like what's happening yeah um to get your like full engagement but i do think like the last shot i really love of like the theater where like first it's out, mm. all outside in the fields with her kid and um jude law and then it like reveals that it's in all still inside the theater and it's like right. very like you're like oh you're free you're out in the world like maybe there's an escape from this and it's like no you're still stuck in the like... you know society um, <laughs> they still live i still live in a society still in a society it's like you still live in a society in the matrix yeah. um but yeah there's it's something true. just lovely about like that like setup of um and, and all of the like plants and stuff inside where it's both like there is renewal and a future and also like you're still caught in the gears of this all right so. yeah. yeah 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 it's like the end of krampus do you remember that the christmas <laughs> classic in which you think that they're they all have a very this is spoilers for Krampus, but they <laughs> they're having a very happy Christmas together as a family, and then it's revealed that they're actually stuck inside of yeah. a Christmas ornament on Krampus's <laughs> mm-hmm. Christmas tree. It's so like it really, when Michael Jackson no turns around and he still yeah, has no, cat yeah. eyes. <laughs> yeah, it's like, Anna Karenina is a horror movie. <laughs> it is the thriller. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> okay, perfect. I've got, okay, Keisha, do you want to start, do you want to start doing our plugs as we start to wrap up? Yes. Uh, thank you for 
for tuning in. Uh, if you enjoyed this, you can follow us on Twitter at No Nerds Pod. You can follow Adeline at Hollow Backwards. You can follow Jackson at Jepper Pack. Uh, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, No Nerds Allowed. You can follow us on Twitch. You should do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could join our Discord. We do lots of fun stuff on Discord, have some fun conversations. We still haven't talked about the Spider-Man trailer, which I don't know why we haven't yet, but mm-hmm. I feel like we should get into it. Um, and a big thank you to our guest, Jackson, uh, who is not Jackson <laughs> but is indeed Jackson McHenry. I don't know where you are. I think I'm gesturing in the wrong uh, place. Oh, I don't He's know. Somewhere in the ether. Um, is there <laughs> anything you would like to plug, Jackson? Thank you for being here. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I mean, you can you can follow me on Twitter at, at McHenryJD and read my stuff at Vulture if you just go to my author page. Um, and yeah uh that, that's about it thanks for having me yeah no and we're yeah. super excited yeah, to have you we just you. want to reiterate i just dm jackson on twitter <laughs> just with an unsolicited <laughs> podcast invitation and he showed up and i'm super super grateful for that yeah um so it's just further proof that if people dm me and let me talk about anna karenina you'll yeah. <laughs> like, do it this is a secret just start an anna karenina podcast just watch or it maybe once i a will <laughs> so uh oh, that would be it <laughs> we like we like to end the show by uh reading a negative review of the movie that I've found on the internet somewhere. So would you guys like to hear a one-star review of Anna Karenina from letterbox.com? Sure. Uh, this Let's review, uh, like I said, comes from letterbox.com. They gave it one star and they said, I love Kira Knightley, but I was confused by all of the costume drama. Wait, wait, what? what movie did they see Kira Knightley in that didn't yeah. have costume drama? Yeah. She was like wearing clothes that weren't like regular clothes. I didn't know why she was dressed like, like that. And then she like what got hit by a trail. trail at the end of it. Like, I don't know. One star. Uh, well, anyway. <laughs> so my name's Jackson McMurray. It's camp. It's- yeah. <laughs> my name is Adeline McMurray. My name is Keisha Rhodes. You can say your name, too, Jackson. Uh, my it, name is Jackson, Jackson McHenry. <laughs> <laughs> and this has and this been No Nerds Allowed. You started saying it, I thought you would say it. We have been doing this podcast no, for I like three start. years, and we still can't figure <laughs> out how to do an outro. Um. <laughs> we were there for a while, and then we, I don't know what happened. Something, something got lost. We got lost in the costume drama. The wires got crossed. Yeah, yeah, there was too much costume drama.